Hello, my name is Jim. This is my podcast, The Bloody Vegans. You're very welcome to it. Each week, I'll be travelling ever deeper into the world of veganism, discovering along the way a multitude of viewpoints from the political and ethical to the practical. I'll be doing this through a series of conversations, each aiming to further illuminate my understanding, and hopefully yours, of all things plant-centric. And this week is no different. It's episode 97. We are rapidly approaching the 100-episode mark, which is uh, very exciting indeed. Uh, episode 97, I'm going to be speaking with Chef Josie Clements, the first vegan chef to enter Hell's Kitchen, Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen, over on Fox uh, in the States. Um, Josie is absolutely incredible. We're going to hear all about her story, uh, all about Hell's Kitchen, how she got into veganism, a whole host of other things. Just before we get on to the, 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 the main event, though, if you like, uh, just some bits to tell you about. Firstly, if you're a fan of the Bloody Vegans podcast and you would like to support, help keep the lights on, um, then do head over to uh, Instagram, type in Bloody Vegans podcast, uh, give us a follow, like, share, whatever you want to do, all those things wonderfully uh, helpful to us. Um, and if you head to the link in the bio on that Instagram handle, there are some ways in which you can support the podcast f- further uh, and some rewards that go along with doing so. So if you feel like doing that, that would be brilliant. Um, if if uh, if not going through the Patreon and through the link on the bio, then uh, reviewing on iTunes is, is a fantastic thing to, to do to, to give the podcast some love. So uh, if you enjoy this content, and you want to keep going for another 100 episodes, I know I do, uh, then uh, then do feel free to lend a hand and support in some way, whatever way you can. Really appreciate it. Final bit of business before we get on to uh, Josie. Uh, Green Gazelles Rugby Club, the world's first vegan rugby club um, and former guest uh, on the podcast, founder Brendan Bale, uh, his... Um, his brainchild, if you like, the, the, the Green Gazelles Rugby Club, are playing their first competitive game, uh, a charity match, uh, in aid of World Forest Organisation on the 27th of November uh, 2021. They're going to be playing that at Roslyn Park, uh, just outside of London. I will be there. Many more exciting people than me will be there. Uh, there'll be amazing vegan food. We've got uh, music, uh, all, all kinds of wonderful things and obviously uh, some elite level rugby players uh, who are all vegan um, playing against I think a, a pretty omnivorous uh, side so uh, we, will, we will do battle on the pitch <laughs> and see uh, see which um, ethical preference comes out on top <laughs> I think I think we all know uh, listeners to this podcast which one's going to which one's going to come out on top? So, um, without further ado, uh, let's get on to the main event. Uh, Josie Clements uh, on Fox's Hell's Kitchen over in the US. Uh, UK listeners will know Hell's Kitchen. They'll know Gordon Ramsay. Um, in the US, uh, I think Hell's Kitchen's in its 20th season now. It's going really strong. This episode, um, this season, I should say, over on Hell's Kitchen on Fox um, is entitled Hell's Kitchen Young Guns. Uh, and it's all about the up-and-coming talent in the culinary world of which which there are there aren't many more uh, elite than Josie Clements, um, and she's the first vegan competitor on the show, which is incredible. She's um, she's really put a spotlight on things over there. There's been a lot of discussion about veganism off the back of what um, of her of her entering the competition, and um, you know she's even got uh, Chef Gordon Ramsay talking about it, which uh, which is good. You know, it's got got very high profile so um you know him him talking positively about veganism which i think he does in the show chatting to josie i think she converted him a little is uh is, is absolutely all, all good for the course so uh without further ado here's a conversation between me and josie clements Josie, so it would be it would be great to get started with a little bit of your personal journey into the world of veganism. What kind of brought you here? Oh my gosh! Well, I think it started at a kitchen table when I was five in Michigan. I lived right outside of Detroit, and I asked my mom, "I was like, Mom, what's chicken made out of?" And she goes, "Well, you know, the chickens at the petting zoo—that's the chicken." 
we kill it and then we eat it. And I was just like, oh, I didn't eat my chicken that day. And then again at 16 in the kitchen, just breaking down like hundreds of pounds of meat every week and just feeling an aversion to meat after like handling the tendons and all this. Mm. And then just eating vegetables and quinoa, not really knowing, not really putting two and two together why it was grossing me out other than the fact that it just looked gross. That initial connection there, you know, when you were saying you're, you're, a, you're a chef by this point and you're just, I suppose, the weight of the volume of the amount of living beings that are no longer living that you're handling. Do you think that was kind of a, a, an awareness of the life but that came from seeing these, like you say, the, the tendons, the physicality, you were relating to it on a kind of empathetic level. What, what do you think that was that was grossing you out? Or was it much more visceral and like, this is just gross to handle? I think it was probably both because, you know, you get these, you're, you're carving away this meat and not all of it looks good. Not all of it is servable. And you're able to identify like veins and then also like perhaps like bruising of the meat right. before the animal was killed, like where it had wounds or something, or like maybe cancer. And you're looking at this, at this shit and you're just like, what is this? And you're trimming it away and you're just kind of like, man, <laughs> this is brutal. So it's probably a little bit of A and B. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard chefs say that before and it, uh, it shocked me when they said it, and it's just interesting hearing another chef say the same thing that, you know, li literally coming across uh, abuse in the food system, uh, disease in the food system that's kind of almost made it to the point to them. Like they're the last point of stoppage before that would reach a consumer. Is it, was that kind of like a common experience? Or was that quite a rare thing for you? Well, it was high quality meat that we were ordering, so mm. it was uncommon. I wasn't seeing it yeah. all the time. It's not like working in like a supermarket per se, where you're just getting like loads and loads of different, like low anywhere from like low to high quality meat. But um, it was definitely a thing where we would like cut it off and then just send it back to our supplier and be like reimburse us because yeah. this many pounds was not sellable. So you know, but. That's that's a good point that you made. That we're the last point. Like, every, what if every chef? What if we got every chef to just say, "Hey, refuse to refuse to cook food that is has animal products." <laughs> just everyone, just like, just whip out your prep, just throw it all away. Everyone go on strike for a day. That'd be crazy. Yeah. Anyways. Well, you may you may start that revolution. We'll we'll see. Yeah, we will I see. So. We will see. <laughs> That's the I hope. So. I hope so. So sorry, I'm derailing things already. So these two, these two kind of moments, like five years old, and this, I imagine this was something that kept recurring. You having this kind of notion of this is a living being that I'm, I'm consuming here. At what point did that your experience as a as a chef with this kind of the sheer volume? What point did that kind of convert into? Actually, I'm eating the quinoa and vegetables probably for some subconscious reason here. I'm going to make this a, a lifestyle change and almost like I'm going to wear the badge, if you like. Well, it actually took me just completely fucking up my whole life to take a look in the mirror and be like, something has to change. Wow. And my ex and I, we were both chefs at the time working for the same Obviously, we were together back then, and we were working at the same place, the same, uh, it a, it's called Fiona's Delicatessen in Colorado, and I got fired from my job. Nobody liked me. I was like the kitchen bitch, <laughs> and then shortly after, we like both went into sales to like save money for a restaurant. And he was getting promotions and I was like doing well and I was happy. We were making money and things were cool. But I told him like I wanted to break up at that point because we were just like very unfocused from the vision of the restaurant. This is a long story. I apologize. I like long stories. You go for it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and good because it is. It is a long one. And I'm trying to give a summary. But basically... I ended up cheating on him 
and I never thought I would be that kind of person because my mom was cheated on. And so at that point, I was just like, wow, this is what I've come to. And so I was like, I'm clearly not able to articulate my emotions and I'm clearly not able to have compassion for myself because I didn't want to be in this situation. I put myself in this in a situation where I ended up creating resentment for not only myself, but another human that I really deeply loved. And then I hurt that human. And yeah, my he obviously left and I got fired from my sales job three days later. And everything just like blew into smithereens basically. And I called my best friend who was vegan. He was back home in Michigan. And I was calling him every week. I was like, dude, I don't, I don't really know what to do at this point. And after weeks of leaning on him for advice, he told me, he's like, you know, I went vegan six months ago. You should really try it. And I was like, what? Like my whole identity was built around being the chef. Like this is my dream. I got to own a restaurant. I got to be the best chef. And that means cooking meat. And eventually I was just, I was, I was at such a low point. I was just like, fuck it. I'll do it. I'll try it. And that was how I started was just being at the bottom, like the lowest of the lows. So unfortunately it, it had to take that for me to change. That's that's probably the most unique story of getting into veganism. I think I've heard actually incredible one. Oh. Yeah, I, 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 but but actually makes so much sense. So like, when you describe it like that, it's kind of I don't want to say like logical, but I can understand how you would get to that that point of like reflection about who you are and your identity and and all of these kind of things. But it's it still strikes me, although there's a logic to it, like an incredibly and you alluded to it, an incredibly kind of bold decision, given that you'd you'd taken this career path. You, you know, you had a, a, a this dream of your own restaurant. You've developed this incredible talent. It, it's so heavily based, that, that kind of high-end, uh, the world of high-end kind of culinary uh, work is, is so based on eating kind of everything. <laughs> you know, it's, it strikes me as such a bold move to to almost out yourself, if you like, as like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm vegan. So I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And how, how did you even begin that? Because it's one thing like you're a good friend helping you along the way. It's another thing almost, what do I do when I re-enter that world again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I had no idea how to be vegan. And I was just like, well... I guess what I can do is just make pasta and boil vegetables and then, you know, basically make a really bland veggie soup with pasta. And hopefully that will carry me. And yeah, I, uh, I lived off of veggie soup and I think cheeseless pizza for like the first month. When you first sort of came out into this, this world, and I appreciate you were in a different line of work at this particular point when, you know, the, the breakup happened, the switching to veganism and so on. But you, I imagine you still had in your head somewhere this this vision of like, I want to own a restaurant. This is kind of like deep in my DNA, like being a, being a professional chef. Like at some point I'm going to need to go and, you know, back into this world and I'm going to need to tell people that I'm vegan and that's going to make things difficult for me. How, how, how how did that land, you know, with you approaching it and then actually when you came to telling people? Well, I had mixed reviews, of course. I mean, <laughs> like my family, especially. In Michigan, you know, you're pretty much raised on meat and potatoes for three meals a day. And so my dad's like, well, then what are you going to eat? And I told him, you know, too, on top of that, I'm not taking a restaurant job where I have to cook meat. And he's like, well, why are you limiting yourself all of a sudden? He said, that seems really stupid. <laughs> and, so, and so, I don't know. I mean, of course people are 
I think that when anyone goes to change and then you tell your peers about it, everyone kind of takes it a little bit personally. Like, well, what's wrong with the way that we're doing things right now? But I'm very chronically optimistic and I also have a big fat mouth and I'm not afraid to say how I feel about things. (laughs) So... It went, it went decent, and I think that everybody started asking a lot of questions, even though I didn't like the way that they were asking questions, and they were very, like, leading and condescending, and um, questions that were meant to make me feel stupid. I already felt pretty grounded in my decision, so I was just kind of like, this is why, and you're wrong, and I'm right, and I don't care. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I think the, I think it created conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. I bet it did. I bet it did. I hope you don't want me asking this question, but I wanted to, to ask a question about, um, going on to something like Hell's Kitchen with all of its high profile, being a vegan chef and then cooking omnivorously, you know, cooking for that audience was was that very much a kind of like something that you had to wrestle with a little bit about, you know, there's the great exposure on one side and I can tell this, you know, story about veganism and I can have that conversation versus, but I've still got to cook animals. You know, how, how, how did you kind of square that? What was your, your kind of approach to that? Um, that's a really good question. Actually, when Hell's Kitchen first called and they identified that I was vegan, And they told me, you know, you're going to have to cook meat. Are you okay with that? I told them no. And then I hung up the phone. And I was really upset, though, for like two weeks. I was like crying. I was like, I I think I missed out on something. I think that um, something really good is supposed to come out of this, even though it feels Mm -hmm. evil cooking meat. Yeah. So I called them back. But right before Hell's Kitchen had called, I had like two other opportunities, like big opportunities in LA present themselves to me. And they were going to, the first one was going to be a vegan job, cooking for like a celebrity, being his private chef. And then last minute he's like, hey, but I still need you to cook meat for, and I I got hired. I was there cooking. And after the first week, he's like, I'm going to need you to cook meat for my friends. And I was like, no. And I left and I was like, fuck, I was like, all right, it's going to be okay. Like we're following our morals. Something's something good is going to come. Literally two weeks later, someone contacts me through, I think like Indeed or Career Builder or something. And they're like, hey, we want you to be the executive chef for this cafe that we're taking over. We're going to make it vegan. And I was like, amazing. This is it. This is why I had to turn down that to get this. And the one partner is vegan. And I'm communicating with him the whole time. And then his business partner comes in right as I'm about to sign contracts with them. And he's like, oh, and just to let you know, we're going to need to see a menu for meat because we want to keep our clients, you know, the prior customers that were coming to this location to eat meat, we want to keep them too. And then I was like, fuck. Like, (laughs) so then I said no to that. And then like two months later, maybe maybe less than two months. Anyways, Hell's Kitchen called. And so that's why I was like, okay, all right, I'm doing it. So, yeah. And, and did you kind of like, at, at that point kind of think, you know, this is the third time I've been called into to, to cook in this way that there must be something saying you need to have this conversation with om- omnivorous folk and, and what bigger stage to do it on? Pretty much. I mean, that's why, that's why I full sent it. And I just had to kind of grapple with the fact that I was going to be cooking meat and a lot of it. And my biggest fear was that it was going to be for nothing because the vegan community would reject me because I was cooking meat. But that hasn't been the case at all. They've been so supportive and like so loving and just like so excited that there's a vegan on Hell's Kitchen. It's been it's been awesome, the support that they've given me. So none of my fears came true. And I mean, the show was hell. The show was absolute hell. Like I was having <laughs> nightmares yeah, every single day, like of me, like, I, cause but you prep before service. They don't show that 
on TV, but you're prepping before service and you're cutting up all of the beef for like the beef tartare. And I kept having this dream every night that I'd be cutting up the beef and then cutting myself, but it didn't, I wasn't like in pain in the dream. It just seems like, I don't know. It's just like my conscience was screaming at me every day. And I wasn't really sleeping on set because you sleep on set six days a week. Right. It was pretty nuts. Wow, I can, I can only well, I can't I can't imagine really. It's like so so much going on for you at that that particular point. You know, you've embraced veganism. This is a moral decision you've you've taken, but you've got this incredible you know talent for. For, for cooking you've been doing this for years it's a career you've invested in you've obviously had a uh, a long-standing uh you know admiration for for chef ramsey <laughs> and wanting to to work in here we'll call it an i don't know what you're talking about uh, well I know, I know from some of the the episodes it's pr- perhaps admiration might be too too light a <laughs> word but there's, there's that long-standing there's that long-standing admiration there. So it, it must have been just a hell of a quandary, like, uh, you know, coming into that. And then, like you say, the and the thing I hadn't really thought about is the, the day-to-day living of it, you know, the six days a week, the intensity of it. Um, it, it must have been... It must have been quite a quite a, quite a challenge. And, 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 you know, now it's out on air. Do you, do you kind of feel like you're reliving things? I've never experienced a panic attack before until watching that episode's back. I like get so anxious for myself. I'm like, oh my God, I know exactly what I'm thinking right there. I know exactly what I'm feeling. And it's just, it's overwhelming to the nervous system. Even to watch a reality show, especially one produced by America. (laughs) It's just like with the music and the, and the sound effects and everything else. I mean, it's 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 nuts. It's seriously nuts. How much is there like lost in the the edit? You know, in terms of like how much is you know the conversations that you may have had the uh, you know maybe about veganism or, or just beyond that. Do you do, you know is it is it a challenge to think? You know, was that how I how I was in that episode, or was it the way it was edited? <sighs> this might come to bite me in the ass later, but so far. <laughs> Up until I think we're on episode seven, maybe eight, I think seven. Everything that has been shown, I feel, is incredibly accurate, which is why it's so difficult to watch because I'm like, it's not even a lie. I said those things. I felt those things. I did those things. And then you're watching and you're just like, all right. (laughs) But I will say that they lose a lot of like, they show the fractals. They show the fractals of your personality that they want to show but they're very real fractals of who you are. Um, and they do miss a lot of, I wish, I wish it was more of a reality TV show in the sense that they showed more of the dorm life because the bond between the whole cast and the conversations that we were having about veganism. Oh my gosh, there were a lot of them. So it was really great. I was going to ask specifically about, about that, you know, the, the, the dorm life, the, the six days a week, the, the camaraderie that's built up, you know, like like I was saying before about um, you know re- reading a little bit into the kind of world of professional chefs and uh, speaking to a few. You know, the, this theme of um, the times being incredibly tough, this incredible kind of pressure cooker environment actually kind of you know often bonds people together very closely. Thinking about you know going through that experience, it's incredibly unique. You know, even in the world of chefs, being on a TV show, a reality TV show with that higher profile, all of those kind of things, I'd imagine that bond is only is only deeper. Um, but but was the you know did you find the veganism kind of getting in the way? You know, for, maybe from a chef standpoint, insofar as you know other chefs being aware, you couldn't taste things, and that your experience was different to theirs, and you know so on and so forth. Um, honestly, no, I feel like veganism was the only thing that was like keeping my head on my shoulders because I went into it knowing that I don't care what happens. Like I I thought I'd go onto the show and I'd be the first one to get kicked off because one, I'm vegan Two, I've been out of the industry for a while. I hadn't cooked in three years prior going on the show because I had still been like working in sales and, um, 
yeah, it was the one thing that I knew that I could ground into that would just like take me to where I needed to go. And my bet that was my big issue cooking meat too, is because I grounded into this lifestyle because I hurt people and I hurt myself. And so all of a sudden I'm choosing deliberately to go against my morals to cook meat. And I just knew that as long as I was like still expressing myself and expressing that I'm a vegan and not consuming the meat and doing everything that I could do to just be as an integrity as I could be, that everything was going to work out, everything was going to be fine, and my career would go where it needed to go. But I just knew that like I couldn't like I couldn't just decide to like not be vegan or something or just say like yeah it's okay to taste the meat. You know, I knew I knew I couldn't do that and I didn't want to, but there were times where like everyone's grilling you. They're like, why didn't you taste the meat? You know, why, why couldn't you just taste it and spit it out? You know, you're hurting the team, whatever. And it's just like, you don't know what I know. So again, <laughs> yeah. What are you thinking? You're, you're, you're deep in there. Yeah. My question to you was like, I just noticed that you were, I noticed that you're thinking a lot (laughs) and I wanted to know what was going on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I just think it's a, it's a really difficult quandary and I wouldn't, I don't think anyone can really make a judgment without being in your shoes. I can, I can imagine people would one way or the other, but I think, you know, the viewership of, of something like Hell's Kitchens, what, 7 million in the US or something like that. It's, it's, it's a big show on a big network with huge coverage. And, to, and the, 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 the talking point of there being a vegan chef who is talented, I mean, you, that's, that's publicity that you can't, put a price on you know from, from from a veganism standpoint like there's the we're trying to you know what are we trying to do we're trying to help more people understand what veganism is and maybe make some positive changes in their life so on the one hand you've got that that the, that argument there which is like you have to be amongst it to like i think some, somebody said to me before you know like if, if all you're ever doing is speaking to vegans then who are you Where's your activism? You know where exactly, exactly. You know what? What are you? What are you doing? And if you know, we talked about earlier. Uh, if the last point before food goes to a consumer is the chef, then you know is is that there's there's a there's a very very strong argument for somebody being in that world still with one foot in one camp and one foot in another and then and taking people along that journey but it's on a personal level like i don't know i could do it you know there's the there's the like you said you, the the sort of the feeling of doing things you know using animal products using parts of what we're living beings that would be very very hard to square so it's like there's this kind of feeling of greater good Versus this, so yeah, I think that's what's that's what's running through my mind is like, I don't know what I'd do, and I don't think I could, I could have a value judgment on it. I don't think it would be right to to, to judge somebody, neg- certainly not negatively, for doing that, because you could very well turn the mirror back and say, well, how many non-vegans have you spoken to? Because I've just spoken to seven million, and one of and one of the biggest chefs in the world, you know, has has talked about has said the word vegan has talked about veganism because of you so you know that that's i think that's that's pretty compelling <laughs> as, a, as a reason to do it but on a personal note i bet it was you know without a pun on the title of the show pretty hellish <laughs> um, thank you for putting into that context that's very sweet Um, I will say like, I haven't received a lot of negative judgment. I think I've received actually like three hate DMs, but, but 
I've received over a hundred easily, like actually like long messages of people just being like, hey, thank you. And yeah, the three hate messages are like this one lady, Nancy. I won't say her last name, but her name is Nancy. And she literally on her Instagram, it's just pictures of her, her taking pictures of her TV and just shit posting <laughs> her remarks. So I was like, yeah, all right. Well, thank you, Nancy. I do appreciate your review. It's a uh, very, uh, at so very British, they would say the reviews were good. I was, <laughs> or I would say, I wasn't sure what to make of it. <laughs> yeah, that definitely means that you weren't particularly impressed with it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that sort of seems strange. Like whether you, whether you agree, disagree with it. I think, it, uh, and I've had this discussion with people before, and I think this is sort of an interesting point. It's kind of a, you know, those without sin cast the first stone. The, the entire world in which we live is non-vegan. You know, we we kind of have to remember that, I think. You know, the cash we use. I was you know, talking to, um, uh, to somebody about uh, bank accounts the other day. And, you know, you, you have a bank account with, in Britain, HSBC or, you know. Like one of the big know, corporations. Yeah, a big, they are investing in stuff that you disagree with. You know, morally, they are investing your money that you, you know, you're the biggest chunk of cash that you have, your your annual salary is being poured into fossil fuels, into animal agriculture, into industries you don't agree with. So to then to, you know, take a picture of your TV, <laughs> There's, you know, the, the TV companies probably taking sponsor money from X, you know, Arla, who a dairy company, and you know, whoever. They're probably there's probably money pouring through that you wouldn't agree with, but you've, you know, so it, I think it's really difficult to 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 make it as binary and as simplistic to say, Josie's a terrible person because she's a chef and she cooked meat on that tv show i think yeah it's that's pretty interesting the world of duality that we live in of right versus wrong we use we label things as right versus wrong just to navigate yeah our worlds and especially i think in um you know 2021 culture i hate i I don't want to not put all the blame on social media because i think it's a you know it's a complex situation but you know it's the complexity of an argument is kind of reduced to the 140 or whatever characters. And, um, so we sometimes miss this, <laughs> the, the, the complexity of the debate, which I think is to answer the very long answer to your question is kind of what I was thinking about as you were answering that. <laughs> oh no, we love, we love long answers here. Both you and I. <laughs> so yeah. We, we, were, we were just about that, that particular, um, the, the challenge of that, that particular decision um, and, you know, it generally being received positively, which was, which is, you know, I think very good news actually. <laughs> uh, and kind of statement, uh, you know, a, a statement that I think proves probably that much of the, much of the quote unquote vegan community is probably, you know, sees the, the benefits as outweighing the, the, you know, the, the obvious like, you know, challenges that you'd, you'd had to, had to go through in, in, in being on the show, etc. I'm interested in, you know, thinking about the, and I appreciate, you know, these shows, I, I, I don't know how it works, but I'd imagine it would be quite difficult to have much, um, much time really to have like, you know, deep conversation, but thinking about, um, Chef Ramsey's particularly and his, reaction to you either on camera or off camera about about the veganism and so on you know what how was that you know what 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 was that relationship like around that particular subject Mm, well we did have a one-on-one chat about it and he said you know i was expecting you to be really squeamish and like very hesitant and just kind of like, you know, he made this face. He was like, very. He's <laughs> like, and you're not. He was like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. 
so you know you've really you've really shown me that being a vegan isn't necessarily what I thought and I appreciate that and I was like so I'm trying to picture when he was talking to me I'm trying to picture what he was picturing prior to me and I just picture like probably like some white scrawny like bones about this big um I don't know what he what he had in mind but it was definitely the stereotype of I guess what a typical carnivore would imagine a vegan to be and also the producer I think that this was a grander orchestration I mean this this was I, I really feel like it was a divine orchestration because the producer the executive producer Gordon Ramsay is obviously an executive producer but one of the other executives I think she is a new executive producer to the show and she was vegan right. and she had to she told me she's actually now my next door neighbor in <laughs> Los Angeles, I swear to God. She got the apartment next to mine. And she told me, she's like, yeah, we had to convince Gordon to allow vegans and vegetarians on the show. She said it was a big deal. So it was like we had a couple vegans in the game. And I think that, you know, it's just obviously more and more people are going vegan. So it's just reflecting in the corporate world which is good because the corporate world is, you know, the people with the power help make the shifts yeah. for that eventually meet the rest of the population. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it'll just continue to grow more and more. And even before I was on the show, Gordon Ramsay, I mean, I really have to give props to the guy because I understand where he's coming from with his perspective on veganism because obviously mm -hmm. I shared it before going vegan. I was like, you know, fuck, how am I going to be the vegan and a chef at the same time? But he said, it was published in an article, he's like, you know, I think we all need to eat a slice of humble pie. And I was like, oh. So he's, he's open-minded and he's obviously a business owner and an innovator and he has to keep up with the time so I really I think he will go vegan to be honest with you do you think oh yeah I think so if he did that'd be, that'd, be, that'd be a dream come true <laughs> 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 it's getting a little hot in here <laughs> indeed Indeed. I want to ask you a, a, a question, a broader question about, um, about vegan food and the, um, and particularly coming at it from, uh, the, the restaurant business. And I asked this question because, uh, a while back I spoke to a chef in the UK called Andy Hogman, who runs an amazing restaurant called Alter, um, in, in London. And, um, he, he had a, yeah, absolutely. Google, and if you get chance whilst you're whilst you're over in the UK to visit, I, I'll send you a link later so you can um, you can check out the restaurant. But it, it's amazing food, and he had a really interesting standpoint, which was his in his view, and he similar to yourself had gone through kind of a uh, the kind of classical high end training, if you like, as a chef. You know, that was a, it was a passion, a career. You know, he wasn't, um, he wasn't flipping burgers, you know, this was, he was, a, he was a serious chef, um, and, uh, and, and it went vegan like yourself and then had to think about well, what does this mean for me and the skills I've got and so on. And he had a really interesting view insofar as he said, most vegan food in restaurants is not good enough. You know, is as a, as from a, from the standard point of view, the option that you get is a, fairly bland vegan burger a uh, you know often like a jackfruit burger or something like that and he said um, ultimately we need to hold vegan food to as high a standard as omnivorous food otherwise we're always going to have that that kind of um, not really not really a, a compliment that kind of statement where somebody says yeah it's not bad for vegan food um, I'd love to get your view on that you know, do do you think uh, he's he's kind of right with that assessment that vegan food, in the main, 
you know, I appreciate there's many, many restaurants and, and chefs who are, who are doing amazing work in that space, but in the main isn't good enough and we need to raise the bar. Oh, I absolutely 100% agree. I think, too, I don't know, I would love to, I can't wait to see the menu. Definitely send me the link because um, I'm definitely going to eat there before I go. But I also think we need to stop with this, like, fake meat bullshit, to be honest with you. Because that's where I think that sentence, it's good for vegan food because people are still, the mind still wants to compare to what it knows. And I'm sorry, you can't make, you can't turn soy into bacon. I love bacon. I haven't had bacon in six years, but you can't turn soy into bacon. And unless if you're creating some sort of magical piece of technology, but even then, I don't even want to put that into my body. That's so far away from what we're even supposed to be ingesting in the first place. I mean, I was a junk food vegan. Don't get me wrong. Like I was a junk food vegan for the first two years of being vegan. I don't think more than like six cups of vegetables entered my stomach, but now it's like we should be treating vegetables the way that the world treats meat like to that high of a level where people are like this wet aged brisket, this dry aged brisket. It was, it was aged for 26 days. Then we marinated it for two weeks and then we smoked it and then we, you know, seared it and then we finished it in the oven. And then vegetables are like in the restaurants, like people are serving like a hummus and vegetable sandwich or falafel and, and hummus or they're just like, it's like steamed broccoli. Dude. <laughs> like, why, why are we not brining and fermenting and marinating vegetables? And why are we not treating them with the same care that we treat these pieces of meat? Because that, that's also, I think, every chef's like excuse is like, when you, when you buy a chef a half of a pig and you say here you go um turn this into whatever you want i mean i'm sorry because i know vegans are listening to this but the chef will make bacon they'll make pig belly they'll make all these things from it and they'll and they'll treat it like the cuts need to be perfect because nothing is going to go to waste and you know this is how the chef the chef puts his heart or her heart into or their heart (laughs) into the meat and I, that's how it's justified as well. This was, you know, this meat was given to me and I take really good care of it and I respect it and I appreciate it and then I serve it. But it's like, we can still do that with vegetables and it's not imposing, we're not imposing our will on another being's life. So it's just, it's interesting to me that we're just barely paying attention to vegetables, just making them edible just edible you know I don't know that's yeah. the, I feel very strongly about this I could go on a three day rant to be honest with you uh, uh, you feel free to <laughs> <laughs> I think you, you raise an incredibly valid point and thinking about the you know the, the the care the passion and and actually the um I guess that the the skills that have been passed down, that have been taught, that have been uh, shared between between chefs over you know generations. You know, we talk about classically trained chefs, uh, which, which sort of you know in its in its in it, in that sort of sentence suggests there is a history and so on. And like you say, I think we're we're probably coming at this from the you know the 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 sort of quote unquote vegan mainstream is probably coming at this from the angle of, you know, how do we just replace everything that, that existed with, you know, a vegan, you know, we don't want anybody to miss out uh, rather than thinking we want to teach somebody something new. You know, we want to, we want to create something that they haven't tasted before. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating thinking about it and, you know, then thinking, to this theme that we, we we sort of started off with about you know chefs being the the last line uh, before before food hits hits the consumer hits the plates and so on. 
do, do you think then actually what what we need to do rather than investing in fake meats and technology to overcome the the kind of challenge of converting people if you like if that's the kind of mission um to to veganism what we probably need to where we need to in the vegan community invest further is into into chefs into into that kind of that final stage before the uh, before the consumer so that you know people do know how to how to do this i asked this question because i spoke very early on in the podcast it was about episode seven i spoke to a local restaurateur that i that i know and uh who runs a vegan restaurant and they said one of the biggest challenges that they actually have is is hiring people uh is hiring people with the with the right skill level to cook the vegan food that he wanted to cook in his restaurant so, so do you think that that is actually, if you like, the the crucial piece of the puzzle that's missing from, you know, the the helping the vegan community grow is 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 breeding a new a new generation of chefs. I think that that could be a huge piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. Um, aside from chefs, I mean, what makes what makes chefs what makes people need to go to chefs is I I think the lack of education of what health is and what food should be. Mm. Um, I feel as though, I mean, we, we turn to restaurants because of course restaurants are simple and they produce, you know, food that is quick and usually more expensive than what we need to be paying for food. But we do it because we don't have time. And I think that when we can educate ourselves and other people of like what what's truly to be prioritized in life, which is our health, and knowing that with with proper health everything else will come. So we can stop striving all the time for like all these other things that we want as human beings. I think that yeah, I think remembering what food is there for is most important because I have a lot of respect for chefs who can create a whole experience by appeasing to the senses. Um, but like, there's this whole like wave of like molecular gastronomy and like this, like, you know, we're like putting food in chemical baths to like create a sphere of like caviar from carrot juice or like something because it's going to like burst in your mouth when you eat it. It's like, cool but what is that actually what's the return on my investment when I pay um 20 pounds for a meal what's the return on my investment for me later we have to start thinking about the cause and effect of of food I mean that that really is like the most when you focus on your food and what you ingest that is the most sincere way I think to invest in yourself because then when you plan your day around the food that you're going to have to make sure that you're eating good food you can trust that everything else is going to fall into place exactly as it needs to uh, just a, a thought raced through my head as you were talking about that and and I, i'd again like to get your view on it and appreciate this is a overly simplistic uh question and i'm asking you to be a spokesperson for for far too big a group of people but i'm going to ask it anyway um Challenge accepted. <laughs> Just thinking about, like, from your experience over in the the states in the last kind of you know eighteen months or so, do do you, do you see any signs, any positive signs that the kind of pandemic that COVID etc. has made, even if it's a proportion of uh, of society, but a proportion of kind of American culture more aware of of their their health and what they ingest. Like you said there, um, you know about that the importance of that. Thinking about you know what we value in life, it made me think about you know this last eighteen months has caused many of us to, uh, and I appreciate that many of us who've had the luxury to be able to do this, but have allowed to been had time to pause, if you like, or at least their pace of their life has slowed. Whilst they can work from home, whilst they maybe have had their their children, their families with them, etc. Um, and of course it being the nature of it, a, a health emergency, it's probably made some people think, um, there's also obviously the, the potential for it being connected to animal agriculture and so on. Do, do you see any signs of that 
you know, there, there being some links drawn with, with, with folks? I think so. I, I feel like I've experienced the shift. Um, I think in society we're closer than ever in the States. I think that we celebrate now that we can just hug each other. (laughs) Which is like something that we took for granted before. But yeah, I mean, I don't mean to be cold or seem so privileged to say that I mean, I, I really, of course, there was like, we can, we can say, we can talk about all the downsides of, yeah, yeah. of which we, you of know, the pandemic, absolutely. but, mm. but on the, I, I, I don't think that anything good can come until we experience great suffering. And mm. that's only because we're ignorant to what we don't know. And so that's what is kind of created for us by whatever you want to call it. We're, we're meant to suffer in order to expand, question, whatever. So, I, I mean, yeah, I think that this pandemic has really been like a forced meditation for the, whole, for the whole world. For the first time ever, we all were in something together. And we were all suffering from the same thing. And we weren't seeing it as like, well, your yeah. suffering is greater, your suffering is less than, and your suffering is justified because you did this. It's like, none of us did anything. None of us, and you can still see in the news articles, we're still trying to blame China. We're still trying to ba- blame scientists. We're still trying to blame somebody for creating this disease. I'm sorry, but we don't have the answer. We don't know for certain. We we can be as logical about it as we'd like and try to create evidence, but I mean, I really think that this is probably one of the greatest things that could have happened for us to be able to catalyze our growth. And we haven't fully realized that yet. We're still in suffering mode, of course. And... I think it's a good place to be, even though it doesn't feel good, even though it's, you know, really shitty at times, not only for our mental health, but I mean, I I really feel terrible saying that because it's pointed to so much death and so much turmoil, like just deep turmoil for people. But I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say, but I'm chronically optimistic. And I'm not going to stop because that's the only thing that keeps, I think, anybody going is the choice to pursue the positive perspective rather than just sit in the muck. (laughs) No, I'm I'm with you. I think it, 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 like you say, it is incredibly hard to think about, you know, even as phrasing the question, I was, you know, it's incredibly hard to think about positives whilst you're in the, you know, in the in the eye of this, and you think about you know lost loved ones and people that you know who've suffered and uh, suffered tragedy, and you know at the at the sort of worst end of the scale, and then you know right up to um, you know people's economic losses and and their you know their businesses and so on, and you know things they've built for years. And there's so many. You know, like you said, we can talk about those negatives for forever, and they're you know they're well they're well documented. But I think here yeah, we we kind of we have we do have a sort of a, a, a an option if you like on the on the mindset we adopt you know going forward. I appreciate that's, that even that's a simplistic way of, of viewing it. But we, but we do have a a kind of an option, and uh, you know, I, like you, I think I, I choose to to try and think about things you know positively going forward, and you know what what could we what what kind of a world could we reimagine you know, based on, you know, what we've been through collectively. Like you say, it's a very interesting point, actually. I've not had anyone kind of articulate it like that, but it's, you're absolutely right. You know, there's very, very few experiences that we've had that have, have galvanised the world as a community uh, in this kind of way, you know, everyone going through the same thing. But yeah, no, I appreciate your your insight. It's probably a very unfair question to make you the spokesperson for. But I'm really glad that you asked those questions, and because what you're actually forcing upon me right now, in a great way, is like, well, how honest do I want to be on a podcast? 
because my honest perspective is fully optimistic and completely disregards the downsides. But I appreciate you asking those questions because those are the tough questions that everyone is afraid to ask, especially in like a public setting. And, but they're, they're so needed. So yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you you answering. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, one one f- final sort of question for you for you, uh, Josie is is where where do you go next? Where's the is the vision of like a a, a vegan restaurant of your very own uh, still the still the kind of future or or I imagine it's probably a chain now or <laughs> a, uh, a a global franchise. But you know what what's the kind of the the plan for you? The dream is a global franchise, like the size of McDonald's. Um, that would be best case scenario. And I mean, I don't. I'm not trying to be like a Jeff Bezos. I would rather. <laughs> what What I want is to have like. It would be wonderful to have a business the size of McDonald's, but then use those millions of dollars to create new infrastructure for the world that is sustainable and to create programs that help the people where they're not reliant upon a government, but they can be empowered and self-sufficient. Um, yeah, and that, it's actually, it's in, a first location is in the works, but I can't say much more other than that. Um, and it's still, I want to make sure I'm in bed with the right person, for sure. So I'm really excited. And I hope it works out. I hope it I hope it goes through because he seems to be he being like the investor slash business partner, he seems to be very on board with the vision of ending food deserts in the US. Yeah. And being able to just provide good tasting food. It doesn't need to be some creative Michelin like this is what Josie's food is. It's like no, like let's just have decent tasting food that is high quality and it's vegetables where you can get it at the same cost of fast food. Like that's, that's what we need. So in my opinion, and of course I think I'm right. (laughs) So, well, I concur. And I think you are absolutely the, uh, the person to head that up. And if you did have, uh, the Bezos level of wealth. I'm sure you wouldn't shoot yourself into space. I'm sure you'd do something good with it. So I would shoot the whole family into space. Obviously, <laughs> I wouldn't be so selfish to just shoot myself <laughs> up there. You can shoot him into space and leave him there. That would be fantastic. No comments. No comments. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, if you want to fund this global franchise, my email address is idreamvegan at gmail dot com. <laughs> There you go. There you go. <laughs> which does actually lead me on to the final piece, which is uh, where would folks go about uh, finding out a little bit more from you, Josie? Well, you can email me if you want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Um, Instagram is obviously the best for me. You can, I like to send voice memos to people. You don't have to send voice memos to me, but I will definitely send <laughs> a lot of voice memos, like a lot. And if you want any recipes, you want to connect, you want to ask me any further questions, you want to say, hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of what you said. You know, in whatever British way you want to say it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you just say, it wasn't my favorite thing that you said. Um, <laughs> any sort of peanut gallery commentary would be greatly appreciated. I love connecting to people, uh, regardless of your opinion or whether you're vegan or not. So... Yeah. Instagram is vegan chef Josie, J O S I E. Thanks for letting me plug myself. <laughs> I'll pop a little link. I'll pop a little link in the show notes as well for folks. And I think um, for folks who can get hold of season 20 of Hell's Kitchen, if I'm right in saying are we eight episodes in and there's a little pause for the Olympics, is that right? It's it's true. It's true what you're saying. Oh, there you go. Check check me out on my US TV knowledge. Uh, so, so you can um, you can uh, watch the rest of the season after post Olympics and uh, see see Josie in uh, in action. 
So, yeah, thank you so much, Josie. It's been amazing chatting with you. I've really enjoyed it. It's been so lovely chatting with you. I hope we do this again sometime. And I hope that we have a extraordinary connectivity. <laughs> <laughs> we will, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Speak to you again. Yes. Cheers, Josie. Appreciate you. Thank you.